are listening to the Island Christian Church of Holbrook podcast. This message begins the series called Timeless Truth. Today's message, given on January 28, 2018, is titled Understanding the Bible. Truth stands the test of time, right? Of course it does. And yet, our culture today does not really believe much in the timeless source of truth, which is the Word of God, the Bible. And yet, the Bible really does have much to say to the issues that you and I go through every day in life. In fact, there was a survey taken of 600 Christians from many different traditions and cultures. And this survey yielded that only 25% read the Bible more than one time a week. Only one in four read the Bible more than one time a week. And they did a little more digging, and when they asked, they said people aren't reading because they feel it doesn't help them with life. It's not relevant to life. Or others said, well, I have a hard time understanding it. And what I hope to do in this series that we're going to begin today is I hope to give you some tools so that each one of us can better understand the scripture. I was reading in a devotional this week, and I just had found this paragraph, and I just want to share it with you. It says this, it says, The Bible can guide you in all your ways, even when there is not a specific verse for every life situation. As you immerse yourself in the Bible's story of a personal God who made us and saved us for a relationship with him, It makes every part of life, how you spend your money, relate to people, allocate your time, and see yourself, it makes you look different than if you did not believe the story. Then wisdom grows as you live daily life shaped by the biblical narrative and the divine realities. And then, you know, as many devotionals do, they have like a sample prayer and, you know, nothing wrong with a sample prayer. I'm just going to read it to you. And this is the prayer. He says, Lord, I want to not just study your word like a book, but to inwardly digest it, making it part of me. Let your word dwell richly within me so I can have your wisdom to guide myself and my loved ones. Do this for the sake of Jesus, the word made flesh. Amen. So what I'm hoping is that through this series that we're going to begin today called Timeless Truth, I have a couple of hopes. I would hope that we would learn how to properly interpret the Bible. Um, In fact, there are some crazy beliefs that have gotten started that you can always trace that inaccurate, sometimes even heretical belief to somebody misinterpreting Scripture. And... You know, so the question is, how do we interpret the Bible? Now, of course, you know, there's plenty of tools. You could just go and pull out a commentary, see what somebody else thinks about it. And, you know, nothing wrong with that. Although I would say if you're going to go there, check more than one because there are differing opinions. You know, no errors here, but people do have issues. But, you know, how many of you like to watch cooking shows on TV, right? Or how about do-it-yourself shows, you know, home, home and guard, what, HGTV, and you kind of see how people do stuff. And there's, you know, they're very popular right now. 
And so what I would hope to give you is this is sort of like a little, you know, do it yourself interpreting the Bible so that you can gain some tools so that when you see something in scripture, you can learn better what God intended that portion of scripture to give you as a message and hopefully lead you away from some beliefs that maybe are not helpful or maybe are even really wrong. And so um, the way I'm going to do this is this is sort of my little do-it-yourself. This is I'm going to share and kind of raise the curtain a little bit on how I approach understanding the Bible. And, you know, I'm not saying this is the only way to do it, but this is what I've done and I've studied and this is something that has been refined through the years. Some parts of it I've done for a long time and some parts I'm just learning some of these techniques more recently. And so what we're going to do over these next few weeks is we're going to look at a passage of scripture and then figure out how to interpret it and not just give you the meaning of it because I want to actually go through the process of it and even some of these passages are going to have some difficult verses in them. There's some verses that people have like scratched their heads over and they're like, not sure what this means. And there are some, quite frankly, that people can't even come to a consensus on. But still, it, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the workmen of God may be fully equipped for every good work. So that's what we're going to do. And I'm pretty excited about it. I was like, I think this could be something that would be really worthwhile for us a little while, uh, for a few weeks. Uh, theologians call this study hermeneutics. It's not after some dude named Herman who invented it. it it's just understanding the meaning of language. And then more specifically, because scripture is verbally, you know, it is language. It's written. It's not code. And then we're going to look at this to say, well, how can we better understand Scripture so that we can get more out of it? What do you think? You willing to try? Yeah, okay. So let's turn to a very familiar passage. Open your Bibles to John chapter 3. <clears throat> this has the most famous of all verses in it, John 3.16. But I want to read what leads up to it. So we're going to start reading at verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless... One is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And for the moms here, that sounds like a really bad idea, right? You know, you don't want that, okay? But see the level that Nicodemus is looking at this on. Nicodemus is looking at a very physical level here. Jesus is trying to teach a spiritual truth, but Nicodemus doesn't see the spiritual side of it just yet. Look at Jesus' answer in verse 5. And this is the verse that is one of those um, misinterpreted or misunderstood verses. This is the verse we're going to really unpack. 
Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he starts to explain it more. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. See, Jesus is starting to unpack this a little bit. And wind, we can't see the wind. We can see the effect of the wind as it moves a tree or, you know, these storms that we just witnessed this past fall. You know, you see the terrible effect of the wind, okay? But we can't see the wind. It doesn't mean that the wind doesn't exist. It just means sometimes we don't see things. We can see the effect of it. And Nicodemus in verse 9, I think, has a very fair question. He says, how can these things be? Have you ever felt that way? You come to something of God and you're like, How could this be? So you're in good company. But Jesus has an interesting word for Nicodemus here. Verse 10, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. It's kind of a bit of a rebuke because Nicodemus was a respected teacher and religious leader. And then he goes into a little discourse here that we're going to skip, and then we'll go down to verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. May God bless this reading of the scripture. Well, as I said, I want to get down to understand, we're going to look at verse 5, but I want to give you three guidelines for the proper interpretation of language. And as you come to scripture, I suggest you look at these three guidelines. Okay, the first guideline is this. The first guideline is begin with the ordinary meaning of the language. Okay, don't go crazy. Don't go spiritualized. What does the language ordinarily mean? And one way to think of this is, well, how does a baby or an infant learn language. How do they do it? Well, first, they start to observe their surroundings, and then they start to come up with single words. And of course, dads are always like, dada, dada. And then the baby always says, mama. (laughs) But that's just the way it is. The baby starts with single words and then eventually is able to form whole thoughts and sentences. And this type of interpretation or this mode, we call it the plain sense mode. In other words, what does the words mean in their plain language? Okay. Um, A saying that theologians have used for a long time, it would be good to learn this. It says, when the plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense. When the plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense. In other words, if what you're reading makes sense, you do not need to look for a deeper meaning because there probably isn't a deeper meaning there. Okay? And so we take the words of Scripture in their usual primary sense unless there are clear and solid reasons not to do so. So that should be good news for you because if some of you are like, you know, I have a real hard time 
you know, understanding the Bible, it's like, don't make it harder than it is. The words are plain. The words are clear. Use the words in the plain, the common sense. Okay? So that's number one. Begin with the ordinary meaning of the language. But you have to do number two as well. Number two is you need to identify the type of language being used. Okay? Because there's other forms of language. Okay? There's, uh, there's figurative language. Right? There's poetry. There's uh, allegory. There's other forms of languages there. And so it's important when you see a scripture that you understand what type of language is being used, and then you use that. So if the language is just pure prose, literal language, interpret it literally. If it's figurative, interpret it figuratively. If it's poetic, interpret it poetically. And so that's, that's a really important thing. Like, for instance, let's take an example. Book of Psalms, what are they? Well, technically, songs, they were some, but they are in the poetic form. Yes, yeah. And so sometimes you'll see something in a psalm, and we'll get into poetry in a couple weeks, but you'll see something, and it repeats itself. And you're like, hmm. Now, in our poems, our poems rhyme. In Hebrew poetry, there's no rhyming scheme. It's repetition. That's the thing. So, there, you know, there are things like that. Anyway, the point I'm making is, for, for now, generally, most of Scripture you can interpret it in the plain, in the common sense like that. But second thing is you do identify what type of language it is. And then the third principle, and this is just for understanding language, not just scripture, but understanding any kind of language, but it's really important when it goes to scripture. Seek to find the single meaning of the text. Okay, we call that find the primary interpretation. Okay, now, just because there's a single meaning in a sentence or in a paragraph or in a phrase, that doesn't imply that there's just one application. No, that's the beauty, especially, and, you know, you've seen this, where you might come across a, a scripture that you've read many times before, and you're like, I never saw that before, right? You know what I'm talking about there? And that's because there are different applications, but the meaning doesn't change. God inspired the scripture writers, and when we read it under the illumination of the Holy Spirit, God will craft an application to you that oftentimes it's uncanny how oftentimes that has just answered a question or addressed a situation I was going through. One of the worst things you can do, and look, I'm guilty. We've probably all done. You ever been in a Bible study and people are like, what does this scripture mean to you? Sorry. Not good. The proper thing is, well, how does that apply to you? You see, the scripture has one meaning. And the meaning is the meaning. But, and that's the primary interpretation. But the application is as different as each one of us has personalities. I mean, there are probably incorrect applications too. But so when you look at scripture, and now you might say, well, how much has the meaning? You know, that's something where you have to kind of figure it out. Like, and, and you'll see there's things like there may be a shift 
Uh, we're going to look at it today. Uh, this was Jesus and Nicodemus, and then a little later on in John 3, they leave and go somewhere else. So that's probably a break in the thought, and something else is going on. And there are clues like that that you can look for. But seek to find the single meaning of the text, the primary interpretation. Okay, so let's take a look at verse 5. <clears throat> and this verse has had many different meanings that have been suggested through history. We're going to look at three possible meanings of this, and then we'll try to figure out which one is best supported by the text. I'll read the verse again. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, one possible interpretation of this, people say, oh, well, water, is that a reference to being baptized? Because, you know, you need water to be baptized. And some people will say, oh, whenever you see water, that must be baptism. You know, that's one possible. You know, we're, the jury's out. I'm not giving you my opinion yet. That's one. Or some people have said, oh, water in the spirit. Well, you know, when uh, a mother gives birth, her water breaks. And so there you go, the water. That must be the physical birth. And then the spirit is the spiritual birth. And thus you've you know, been born physically and then born spiritually, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So the water, that, that's the amniotic fluid. Is that it? Could be. Maybe not. Or there's a third one that I want us to consider. And that is, could this be something else that should be known to Nicodemus, but he's missing the point on? And the reason why I'm suggesting that is look at Jesus' rebuke to Nicodemus. Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. So, you know, let, let's take a look at these. Let's see what it was. Well, number one, is water a reference to baptism? Why would you assume baptism when you see the word water? Well, baptism isn't mentioned anywhere else here in this passage. Jesus isn't talking to Nicodemus and then saying, you know, if baptism was that important to enter the kingdom of God, then I think Jesus would emphasize that more. Yes, there were baptisms. They were going on. Um, in fact, they're even mentioned later on in the same chapter. You can go down to verse 22. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. So, you know, Jesus believed in baptizing, but once again, remember I said sometimes you'll see a shift, and here, this is no longer Jesus and Nicodemus, but Jesus is now in a different place. So the context has changed, so that should be a clue. Sometimes we'll read something back into something that doesn't necessarily belong with it, okay? Um, it's, baptism is not part of that dialogue. And so is baptism important? Of course it is. But it's not what's talked about here. So we use rule number one, which is use the plain sense. The plain sense is it's water. Jesus is making a point that we will begin to understand later, but he's talking about water and he's talking about the spirit. Now, there's besides those three guidelines for understanding language, there's three guidelines that are particularly helpful for understanding scripture. 
when you want to get and you're not sure exactly what it is. And the guidelines are you study the historical, physical, and cultural settings of the passage. So let's look at the historical setting. The key here is to know what the words mean to the person whom they were written. Okay? Remember the number two, the amniotic fluid? Well, guess what? They didn't call that water back then, historically. You know, that's a saying that we have today, the water broke. Okay, that was not in the historical setting back then. And we get ourselves in trouble when we apply something from our time period back to the scripture, and we can get ourselves off track with that. Okay, so probably that's not a great interpretation of this. Okay, so you look at the historical setting of the people, and you want to make sure you understand what the words would be understood by a person at the time in which they were written. A second guideline we can use is to look at the physical setting. Okay, sometimes geography helps us understand a passage. Uh, those who were here last week, we talked about the call of Abram. And, um, you know, the passage just before the call of Abraham, there was some verses before it. This is Genesis 11.31. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. Okay, it, it says, Terah, that was Abraham's father. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now, when you read something like that, you know, it's just kind of like, eh, okay? But here's where a case where sometimes the geography helps. Have a look at this map. Ur of the Chaldeans is right here. And they set out to go to Canaan, which is here. And there was not a safe, direct route this way, because that was across the desert. And so they had to go up this way by the river. And Haran, where they settled, is about halfway. Now, years ago, I heard a message from Pastor Ayers. And he said, do you realize how often somebody sets out to do something, but they only go halfway, and then they settle there? And he, some of you might have remembered that. I don't know. This was when he was teaching through Genesis. And that map helps make sense of what happened there. Because without that knowledge of the geography, you might just be like, eh, it's just words. But when you start to see that, the passage takes on, we begin to understand more of the meaning. So it helps to understand the geography sometimes. Or another thing that's mentioned oftentimes in Scripture uh, especially because it was an agricultural society, was animals. You know, a lot of times you see sheep mentioned in Scripture. You can say it. Oh, this is Cadbury. Cadbury, when he was a day old, he was actually born on Good Friday of last year. Okay? High in the cuteness factor there, right? The black sheep. Good Friday. That's awesome. That's just awesome. 
But it's important to know some of the characteristics of sheep. Okay? They're mentioned a lot because that helps us understand the need for a shepherd. Because of sheep, they need a shepherd, and Jesus is the good shepherd. Okay? Or another animal. How many of you ever saw this commercial here? Right? A sloth on game night. Have you seen that commercial where they're playing Pictionary and the sloth is just drawing a little and they're trying to guess. And of course, he's going so slow, you can't guess what that is. And so sloth is used in scripture to usually indicate somebody who's slow to act or even lazy. And understanding that, how slow sloths move. I mean, it takes them all day just to climb up and down a tree. Okay, and so when we read a verse like Proverbs 19.15, it says, Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. You know, that sort of gets us to understand that a lazy person is always too tired to work, which leads to poverty. Okay, so sometimes the historical setting helps us understand. Sometimes the physical setting helps us understand. And the third thing that helps us understand is the cultural setting. How did people live then? What were their social and their religious customs of the day? And so understanding that culture then helps us understand when Jesus or an apostle or even one of the Old Testament writers said something, it can help to understand that. Here's an example, okay? Matthew 15, 2. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. It says this. People were questioning Jesus, and they asked him this question. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Well, does that mean that nervous mothers can use this to justify slathering their kids with Purell before they eat their Happy Meal? Right? Is this, is this an exhortation to wash hands? Well, no, it's not. The clarity is found in the culture. Turn with me to Mark chapter 7. We gain some understanding of this in verse 3 of Mark 7. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. You see, Jesus is using this to explain that religious rituals put people in bondage, but Jesus came to set people free, okay? So when you see something about this, you realize that the culture of that day, they thought they could get right with God by following the scripts that had been passed down to them through the years. And Jesus had a much, much better plan in mind. Okay, so I want to suggest that how we interpret John 3, 5 is not the baptism. The water is not about talking about baptism. 
And I want to suggest that the water is not talking about the physical birth, but I want to zero in on that third possibility that I think looks the most plausible, that this is something that Jesus was looking to Nicodemus that he should have known about, but he didn't. Okay, now, we have to realize that as we look at history and culture, the Jewish culture, of Nicodemus was an expert in this. He was a teacher in this. And there are some prophecies that were given that mention the idea of water and spirit. So I want to look at just one of them right now. Would you turn to Ezekiel chapter 36? Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 25. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove from the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And this prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus. So I think Jesus is looking at Nicodemus because it's talking about entering the kingdom of God. You can't enter the kingdom of God based on the fact that I've been baptized, I'm in. You can't enter the kingdom of God just like, oh, well, my parents were Christians and so I am too. I'm in. No, okay? It's not that. We come in through cleansing and rebirth, okay? Born of water and the spirit describes different aspects of the same spiritual birth, cleansing and renewal. Titus 3.5 says this, He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Do you see those two things? The washing of rebirth, the cleansing. When we come to faith in God, He makes us clean. I should get an amen for that one. Amen. Right. All right, we're clean. We're not, you know, the sinfulness is washed clean. That's amazing. And then we're renewed by the Holy Spirit. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Okay? So, I think that's the plausible understanding of 3-5 there, is that a miraculous transformation takes place And, you know, birth, sometimes people take a long time to be born, you know, but they're not born until they pop out, right? Is that true, medical people? Right? That's the time of birth. You know, there, there could be a long labor getting up to it, but it's like, bang. And so it's the same sort of thing. Getting the Holy Spirit is not some sort of a second experience that comes later on. Yeah, we're told to continually be filled with the Spirit because we have a problem. We leak, but we get the Holy Spirit. He renews us when we come and we experience the new birth, when we put our trust 
in what Jesus did on the cross for salvation. And then the Spirit, we're cleansed, we're forgiven, and we're renewed by the Holy Spirit. And that's what allows us to respond in faith and say, Lord, come into my life. That's how it works. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about the other things. I think that's what it is. So now... All of a sudden, let's look back. So what's the primary interpretation of this John 3 passage that we just read? I think it's the new birth. It's all about the new birth. Okay, now, let's look at it again. What could be some applications of this? And I'm just going to gloss over this because, you know, you guys could do this on your own. But when he says, you know, just a couple of points... Um, you know, Jesus, first of all, says in verse 3, he says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This helps under, help you understand why sometimes when you're talking to someone who has not yet put their trust in Jesus, they just look at you and they're like, I don't get it. It just doesn't make sense. Because unless they're born again, they don't see what God is doing. They get little glimpses and pieces of it, but God, what he's doing and what Jesus did makes sense once we've been born again, okay? And then he goes on, and here he says, unless you've been born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. You know, that speaks very strongly to this whole coexist thing that's really strong now. You know, every religion is just a path up the same mountain and you eventually all get to the top. No, you can't enter the kingdom of God other than through Jesus, the perfect, sinless son of God. Okay? And then the whole thing about the wind, right? That's a great analogy where it's like, you know, sometimes I can't see what's going on, but I sense that God is doing something. And that gives us the ability to have faith, to persevere. Remember, this passage is still talking about the new birth, but these are benefits of the new birth, okay? And so on and so forth. You know, um, I didn't read this section, but uh, from verses 11 to 15, uh, there's another historical thing. It's referencing a account that happened in Numbers 21. If you want, go home, look that up. But that's also talking about the historical side. So there's a lot of applications here, okay? And, of course, the best application of all is the gospel. Unless you have been born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And the invitation is for all to trust in Jesus. So I want to close by asking you this. Remember that first statistic that I mentioned? Only one in four read the Bible more than once a week. Do you have a plan for reading the Bible? Because some people don't plan to fail, but they fail to plan. And if you don't have a plan, I would challenge you to make a plan so that you say, okay, you know, don't be legalistic about it and say, at 8.59, I am going, no, but just kind of, you know your week, you know your schedule. Pick a time when you feel like you could be somewhat successful. And when you're awake, not just read it to read and when you're half asleep, okay? But also, my question after hearing this today is, do you have a plan for interpreting and understanding the Bible? And I hope I've given you some tools 
And we're going to go into a lot more of these tools in weeks to come. Okay, so here's, you, you know, I always like to ask you to do something. This is what I'd like you to do this week. I'd like you to pick a passage of scripture and then try to interpret it, maybe using some of these guidelines and rules. Okay, and just to review, what are they? First of all, find the ordinary meaning. Just make observations about it. And just what's the, what's the plain words? You know, take notes when you do this. Don't just read it, but write down. And, and then identify the type of language. Okay, now, just a caveat. This week, I only want you to do plain, literal, you know, prose kind of language. Don't pick a passage that's poetry or prophecy or one of these because there's some special tools that we're going to look at for those types of languages. So pick something that's, you know, pretty straightforward, maybe in one of Paul's epistles or something, or maybe, you know, that, that, that's a good place to go. Don't, don't do the Psalms yet. And um, the first thing you do is you find the single meaning, which is the primary interpretation. In this passage that we read, the primary interpretation of what's this passage about? It's about the new birth. And so you want to identify what that is. And then, and this is where you really want to get prayerful with it, you want to start looking and listing what applications you have. How does this apply to your life? Now, I'll make you deal. If you do it and you email it to me, I'll review it, because I'd love to see what you come up with. Um, I don't know. Should we have a prize? (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. I'll figure that out. But I'm happy to do that. I I really want to see. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, Pastor Bob, I I, I hear what you're saying about the historical and cultural and physical, but how did you find that out? How do you do that? Okay? This is where some tools can really help you out. Okay? And one of the best tools to do that is a Bible that has cross-references in it, okay? Some of your Bibles have that where it has a phrase and then a cross-reference. If you don't have it and you have a device of some sort, I suggest you go and get the ESV.org. They have a free Bible app, and that has the cross-references in it. That's where you'll find the cross-reference from John 3, 5 back to that passage, in Ezekiel, okay? Um, if he, I, I suggest everyone at some point get a study Bible. That's a really good... You know, you used to have to do it with a concordance. You know, that was a big book that had all the cross-references. Now, you can just go online. You can find the, when a word or a thing was used someplace else. And another thing that's helpful, but this is all online too, is a Bible dictionary. You know, you could just look up something and, you know, that, that map that we looked at before, I'm sure that, I mean, I didn't find it in a Bible dictionary, but I'm sure if I looked in a Bible dictionary on the geography, that would have shown up. So, you know, listen, so when we come to the scripture, always do it prayerfully. Always ask, I mean, these are some tools that you can use, but always pray and say, God, help me to understand what you intended this to mean. And then help me understand how I should live in response to it.